0: Chapter eight of the Young Diana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Young Diana by Marie Corelli. Chapter eight arrived at her hotel. Diana gave notice that she was leaving that afternoon then she packed up her one portmanteau and sent it by a porter to the station with instructions to deposit it in the salle des bagage to await her there he carried out this order and brought the printed number entitling her to claim her belongings at her convenience madame is perhaps going to vevy or to montreux he suggested cheerfully the journey is pleasanter by boat than by the train no doubt yes of course i am quite sure it is murmured the astute diana with an abstracted smile giving him a much larger tip than he expected which caused him to snatch off his cap and stand with uncovered head as in the presence of a queen but i have not made up my mind where i shall go first perhaps to martini perhaps only to lausanne i am travelling for my own amusement ah oui je comprends bonne chance madame and the porter backed reverently away from the wonderful english lady who had given him five francs when he had only hoped for one and left her to her own devices thereupon she went to her room locked the door and wrote the following letter to sophie lansing dearest sophie please find enclosed as business people say an english banknote for a hundred pounds which i think clears me of my debt to you in the way of money though not of gratitude by my paying up so soon you will judge that i have fallen on my feet and that i have accepted service under dr demetrius what is more and what will please you most is that i am entirely satisfied with my situation and am likely to be better off and happier than i have been for many years the doctor does not appear to be at all an eccentric he is evidently a bona fide scientist engaged as he tells me in working out difficult problems of chemistry in which i hope and believe i may be of some use to him by attending to smaller matters of detail only he has a most beautiful place on the outskirts of geneva in which i have been allotted a charming suite of rooms with the loveliest view of the alps from the windows and last by no means least he has a perfectly delightful mother a sweet old lady with snow-white hair and the grand manner who has captivated both my heart and imagination at once so you may realise how fortunate i am everything is signed and settled and there is only one stipulation dr demetrius makes and this is that while i am working with him i may neither write nor receive letters now i have no one i really care to write to except you moreover it is impossible for me to write to anyone as i am supposed to be dead so it all fits in very well as it should you of course know nothing about me save that i was unfortunately drowned and when you see pa and ma clothed in their parental mourning you will i hope manage to shed a few friendly tears with them over my sudden departure from this world Nota bene: a scrap of freshly cut onion secreted in your handkerchief would do the trick i confess i should have liked to know your impression of my bereaved parents when you see them for the first time since my death but i must wait meanwhile you can be quite easy in your mind about me for i consider myself most fortunate i have a splendid salary a thousand a year just think of it a thousand pounds not francs and a perfectly enchanting home with every comfort and luxury i am indeed dead as the poor solitary woman who devoted her soul to the service of pa and ma a new diana may has sprung from the ashes of the old spinster it is exactly as if i had really died and been born again all the world seems new i breathe the air of a delicious and intelligent freedom such as i have never known i shall think of you very often you bright kind clever little sophie and if i get the chance i will now and then send you a few flowers or a book merely as a hint to you that all is well but in any case whether you receive such a hint or not have no misgivings or fears in regard to me for years i haven't been so happy or so well off as i am now i'm more than thankful that my lonely hours of study have not been entirely wasted and that what i have learned may prove of some use at last now dear sophie au revoir your good wishes for me are being fulfilled my poor brain so long atrophied by domestic considerations of pa and ma as you put it is actually expanding and who knows your prophecy may come true cinderella may yet go to the prince's ball if i have cause to resign my present post i will write to you at once but not till then this you will understand i have registered this letter so that really there is no need for you to acknowledge its receipt the post-office may be relied upon to deliver it to you safely. And I think it is perhaps best you should not write. Much love and grateful thanks for all your help and kindness to your departed friend, Diana May. This letter, with its banknote enclosure, she sealed, and then, taking a leisurely walk along the rue de Montblanc to the general post office she patiently filled in the various formal items for the act of registration which the swiss postal officials make so overwhelmingly tiresome and important and finally got her packet safely dispatched this done she felt as if the last link binding her to her former life was severed gone was pa gone was ma gone were the few faded sentiments she had half unconsciously cherished concerning the man she had once loved and who had heartlessly jilted her gone too were a number of sad and solitary years gone as if they had been a few unimportant numerals wiped off a slate and theirs was the strangest going of all for she had lived through those years most surely she had lived through them yet now it did not seem as if they had ever been part of her existence they had suddenly become a blank they counted for nothing except the recollection of long hours of study something new and vital touched her inner consciousness a happiness a lightness a fresh breathing in of strength and self-reliance from the rue de mont blanc she walked to the pont and stood there gazing for some time at the ravishing view that bridge affords of the lake and mountains the sun shone warmly with that mellow golden light peculiar to early autumn and the water was blue as a perfect sapphire, flecked by tiny occasional ripples of silver, like sudden flashing reflections of sunbeams in a mirror. One or two pleasure boats with picturesque latine sails looked like great sea birds slowly skimming along on one uplifted wing. The scene was indescribably lovely, and a keen throb of pure joy pulsated through her whole being moving her to devout thankfulness for simply being alive and able to comprehend such beauty if i had been really and truly drowned i think it would have been a pity she thought whimsically not on account of any grief it might have caused for i have no one to grieve for me but solely on my own part for i should have been senseless sightless and tucked away in the earth instead of being here in the blessed sunshine no i shouldn't have been tucked away in the earth unless they had found my body and had a first-class funeral with Ma's usual wreath lying on the coffin i should have been dashed about in the sea and eaten by the fishes not half so pleasant as standing on the pont du mont blanc and looking at the snowy line of the alps when people commit suicide they don't think poor souls they don't realize that there's more happiness to be got out of the daily sunshine than either money food houses or friends can ever give and one can live on very little if one tries here she laughed though i shall have no chance to try a thousand a year for a single woman with a lovely home and board thrown in does not imply much effort in managing to keep body and soul together of course my work may be both puzzling and strenuous i wonder what it will really be and she started again on her old crusade of wonder yet she did not find anything particular to wonder at in the appearance manner or conversation of dr demetrius she had always wondered at stupidity but never at intelligence demetrius spoke intelligently and looked intelligent he did not pose as a wizard or a seer or a prophet and she felt sure that his mother would not limit her conversation to the various items of domestic business she could not fancy her as becoming excited over a recipe for jam or the pattern for a blouse this variety of subjects were the conventional stock-in-trade of english suburban misses and matrons whose talk on all occasions is little more than a lukewarm trickle of words which mean nothing there would be some intellectual stimulus in the demetrius household of that she felt convinced but in what branch of scientific research or what problem of chemistry her services would be required she could not with all her capacity for wondering, form any idea. She walked leisurely back to the hotel, looking at the shops on her way, at the little carved wooden bears carrying pincushions, pen trays and pipe racks, at the innumerable clocks with chimes and without, at the souvenirs of pressed and mounted Edelweiss inscribed with tender mottos suitable for lovers to send to one another in absence and before one window full of these she paused smiling what nonsense it all is she said to herself i used to keep the faded petals of any little flower i chanced to see in his buttonhole and put them away in envelopes marked with his initials and the date what a fool i was as great a fool as that sublime donkey juliette drouet who raved over her little man victor Hugo, and the silly girls who send this edelweiss from switzerland to the men they are in love with ought just to see what those men do with it that would cure them like the professor who totaled up his butcher's bill on the back of one of charlotte Bronte's fervent letters nine out of ten of them are likely to use it as a wedge to keep a window or door from rattling amused with her thoughts she went on reached her hotel and had luncheon after which she paid her bill madame is leaving us said the cheery dame de comptoir speaking very voluble french alas we are sorry her stay is so short madame goes on to montreux no doubt madame smiled at the amiable woman's friendly inquisitiveness no she answered and yet perhaps yes i am taking a long holiday and hope to see all the prettiest places in switzerland ah there is much that is grand beautiful declared the proprietress you will occupy much time you will perhaps return here again oh yes that is very likely replied diana with a flagrant assumption of candour i have been very comfortable here madame is too good to say so we are charmed the, the luggage has gone to the station yes that is well au revoir madame and with many gracious nods and smiles and repeated au revoirs diana escaped at last and went towards the station solely for the benefit of the hotel people servants included who stood at the doorway watching her departure but once out of their sight she turned rapidly down a side street which she had taken note of in the morning and soon found her way to the close little alley under trees with the steps which led to the border of the lake but which was barred to strangers and interlopers by an iron gate through which she had already passed and of which she had the key there was no difficulty in unlocking it and locking it again behind her and she drew a long breath of relief and satisfaction when she found herself once more in the grounds of the chateau fragonard there she said half aloud i have shut away the old world welcome to the new i am ready for anything now life or death anything but the old jog-trot loveless days of monotonous commonplace there will be something different here loveless i shall always be but i'm beginning to think there's another way of happiness than love though old thomas A Kempis says nothing is sweeter than love nothing more pleasant nothing fuller and better in heaven and earth but he meant the love of god not the love of man she grew serious and absorbed in thought yet not so entirely abstracted as to be unconscious of the beauty of the gardens through which she was walking the well-kept lawns the beds and borders of flowers the graceful pergolas of climbing roses and the shady paths which went winding in and out through shrubberies and under trees here and there affording glimpses of the lake glittering as with silver and blue presently at a turn in one of these paths she had a view of the front of the chateau fragonard with its fountains in full play on either side and was enchanted with the classic purity of its architectural design, which seemed evidently copied from some old-world model of an Athenian palace. "'I don't think it's possible to see anything lovelier,' she said to herself. "'And what luck it is for me to live here! Who could have guessed it? It's like a dream of fairyland!' She gathered a rose hanging temptingly within reach, and fastened it in her bodice let me see she went on thinking it's just a week since i was drowned in devon such a little while why ma hasn't had time yet to get her mourning properly fitted and pa i wonder how he really carries himself as they say under his affliction i think it will be a case of bearing up wonderfully for both of them one week and my little boat of life tied so long by a worn rope to a weedy shore has broken adrift and floated away by itself to a veritable paradise of new experience but am i counting too much on my good fortune i wonder perhaps there will be some crushing drawback some terrorizing influence who knows and yet i think not anyhow i have signed sealed and delivered myself over to my chosen destiny it is wiser to hope for the best than imagine the worst arrived at the hall door of the chateau she found it open and passed in unquestioned as an admitted member of the household she saw a neat maid busying herself with the arrangement of some flowers and of her she asked the way to her rooms the girl at once preceded her up the wide staircase and showed her the passage leading to the beautiful suite of apartments she had seen in the morning remarking madam will be quite private here this passage is shut off from the rest of the house and is an entry to these rooms only and if madam wants any service she will ring and i will come my name is rose thank you rose and diana smiled at her feeling a sense of relief to know that she could have the attention of a simple ordinary domestic such as this pleasant-looking little french femme de chambre for somehow she had connected the dumb negro who had at first admitted her to the chateau with a whole imagined retinue of mysterious persons "'sworn to silence in the service of Demetrius. "'I will not trouble you more than I can help. "'Hark! What is that noise?' "'A low, organ-like sound as of persistent thudding and humming echoed around her. "'It suggested suppressed thunder. "'The girl rose, looked quite unconcerned. "'Oh, that is the machine in the doctor's laboratory.' she said but it does not often make any noise we do not know quite what it is we are not permitted to see she smiled and added but madam will not long be disturbed it will soon cease and indeed the thunderous hum died slowly as she spoke leaving a curious sense of emptiness on the air diana still listened vaguely fascinated but the silence remained unbroken rose nodded brightly in pleased affirmation of her own words and left the room closing the door behind her alone diana went to the window and looked out what a glorious landscape was spread before her what a panorama of the divine handiwork in nature tears sprang to her eyes tears not of sorrow but of joy i hope i am grateful enough she thought for now i have every reason to be grateful i tried hard to feel grateful for all my blessings at home yet somehow i couldn't be there seemed no way out of the daily monotony no hope anywhere but now now with all this unexpected good luck i could sing praise god from whom all blessings flow with more fervour than any salvationist she went into the cosy bedroom which adjoined her salon to see if she looked neat and well arranged enough in her dress to go down to tea there was a long mirror there and in it she surveyed herself critically certainly that navy model gown suited her slim figure to perfection and she said to herself if people only look at my hair and my too too scraggy shape they might almost take me for young but woe's me and she touched the corners of her eyes with the tips of her fingers here are the wicked crow's feet they won't go and the lines from nose to chin which the beauty specialists offer to eradicate and can't the ugly ruts made by time's unkind plough and my own too sorrowful habit of thought they won't go either however here it doesn't matter the doctor wanted a woman of mature years and he's got her she smiled cheerfully at herself in the mirror which reflected a shape that was graceful in its outline if somewhat too thin distinctly willowy as she said and then she began thinking about clothes like any other feminine creature she was glad sophie had made her buy two charming tea gowns and one very dainty evening party frock and she was now anxious to give the number of the luggage she had left at the salle des bagages to dr Demetrius, so that it might be sent for without delay meanwhile she looked at all the elegancies of her rooms and noted the comfort and convenience with which everything was arranged one novelty attracted and pleased her this was a small round dial put up against the wall and marked with the hours at which meals were served a silver arrow seemingly moved by interior clockwork just now pointed to tea five o'clock and while she was yet looking at it a musical little bell rang very persistently behind the dial for about a minute and then ceased tea-time of course she said and, glancing at her watch, she saw it was just five o'clock. What a capital invention! One of these in each room saves all the ugly gong-beating and bell-ringing which is common in most houses. I had better go. She went at once, running down the broad staircase with light feet as buoyantly as a girl, and remembering her way easily to the room where she had breakfasted in the morning. Madame Demetrius was there alone, knitting placidly and looking the very picture of contentment. She smiled a welcome as Diana entered so you have come back to us," she said. "I am very glad one lady who answered my son's advertisement went to see after her luggage in the same manner as you were told to do, and ran away ran away." echoed diana what for the old lady laughed oh i think she got afraid at the last moment something my son said or looked scared her but he was not surprised he has always given every applicant a chance to run away not me said diana merrily for he made me sign an agreement and gave me some of my salary in advance he would hardly expect me to run away with his money why not and demetrius himself entered the room why not miss may many a woman and many a man has been known to make short work with an agreement what is it but a scrap of paper and there are any number of humans who would judge it clever to run off with money confidingly entrusted to them you are cynical said diana and i don't think you mean what you say you know very well that honour stands first with every right-thinking man or woman right-thinking oh yes i grant you that and he drew a chair up to the tea-table where his mother had just seated herself but right thinking is a compound word big enough to cover a whole world of ethics and morals if right thinking were the rule instead of the exception we should have a real civilization instead of a sham diana looked at him more critically and attentively than she had yet done his personality was undeniably attractive some people would have considered him handsome he had wonderful eyes they were his most striking feature dark deep and sparkling with a curiously brilliant intensity he had spoken of his russian nationality but there was nothing of the kalmuk about him much more of the picturesque jew or arab an indefinable grace distinguished his movements unlike the ordinary type of lumbersome man who without military or other training never seems to know what to do with his hands or his feet he noticed diana's intent study of him and smiled a charming smile indulgent and kindly i mystify you a little already he said yes i am sure i do but there are many surprises in store for you that i think you had better not begin putting all the pieces of the puzzle together till they are all out of the box never mind what i seem to you or what i may turn out to be enjoy for the present the simple safety of the commonplace there is nothing so balancing to the mind as a quiet contemplation of the tea-table by the way did you arrange about your luggage as i told you diana nodded a cheerful assent here's the number she said and if you are going to send for it would you do so quite soon i want to change my dress for dinner Demetrius laughed as he took the number from her hand of course you do he said even a woman of mature years is never above looking her best armed with this precious slip of paper i will send for your belongings at once it's only a portmanteau, put in Diana, meekly. Not a Saratoga trunk. He gave her an amused look. Didn't you bring any Paris confections? I didn't wait in Paris, she replied. I came straight on. A long journey, said Madame Demetrius. Yes, but I was anxious to get here as soon as I could. "'In haste to rush upon destiny,' "'observed Demetrius, rising from the tea-table. "'Well, perhaps it is better than waiting for destiny to rush upon you. "'I will send for your luggage. "'It will be here in half an hour. "'Meanwhile, when you have quite finished your tea, "'will you join me in the laboratory?' "'He left the room. "'Madame Demetrius laid down her knitting needles "'and looked wistfully at Diana.' i hope you will not be afraid of my son she said or offended at anything he may say his brain is always working always seeking to penetrate some new mystery and sometimes from sheer physical fatigue he may seem brusque but his nature is noble she paused with a slight trembling of the lip and sudden moisture in her kind blue eyes impulsively diana took her thin delicate old hand and kissed it please don't worry she said i am not easily offended and i certainly shall not be afraid i like your son very much and i think we shall get on splendidly together i do indeed i'm simply burning with impatience to be at work for him be quite satisfied that i shall do my best i'm off to the laboratory now she went with a swift eager step and on reaching the outer hall was unexpectedly confronted by the dumb negro who had at first admitted her to the chateau he made her a sign to follow him and she obeyed down a long winding rather dark passage they went till their further progress was stopped by a huge door made of some iridescent metal which glowed as with interior fire it was so enormously thick and wide and lofty and clamped with such weighty bars and mysteriously designed fastenings that it might have been the door imagined by dante when he wrote all hope abandon ye who enter here diana felt her heart beating a little more quickly but she kept a good grip on her nerves and looked questioningly at her guide his dark face gave no sign in response he merely laid one hand on the centre panel of the door with a light pressure come in said the voice of demetrius don't hesitate at that moment the whole door lifted itself as it were from a deep socket in the ground and swung upwards like the portcullis of an ancient bridge only without any noise disclosing a vast circular space covered in by a dome of glass or some substance clearer than glass through which the afternoon glory of the september sunshine blazed with an almost blinding intensity immediately under the dome and in the exact centre of the circular floor was a wonderful-looking piece of mechanism, a great wheel which swept round and round, incessantly and rapidly, casting from its rim millions and millions of sparks of light or fire. "'Come in,' again called Demetrius. "'Why do you stand waiting there?' Diana looked back for a second the great metal door had closed behind her the negro attendant had disappeared and she was shut within this great weird chamber with demetrius and that whirling wheel a sudden giddiness overcame her she stretched out her hands blindly for support they were instantly caught in a firm kind grasp keep steady that's right this as she rallied her forces and tried to look up it's not easy to watch any sort of spherical motion without wanting to go with it among the dancing stars there better indeed yes i'm so sorry and ashamed she said such a stupid weakness but i have never seen anything like it no i am sure you have not and Demetrius released her hands and stood beside her to give you greater relief i would stop the wheel if i could but i cannot you cannot no not till the daylight goes then it will gradually cease revolving of itself it is only a very inadequate man-made exposition of one of the divine mysteries of creation the force of light which generates motion and from motion life moses touched the central pivot of truth in his book of genesis when he wrote the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and god said let there be light and there was light from that light the effulgence of god's own actual presence and intelligence came the movement which dispelled darkness movement once begun shaped all that which before was without form, and filled all that had been void. Light is the positive exhalation and pulsation of the divine existence, the active personality of an eternal god. Light, which enters the soul and builds the body of every living organism. Therefore, light is life. End of chapter 8